This podcast is brought to you by Close Brothers Asset Management. We've created this podcast to set out possible approaches. Please do not view it as financial advice or its content as investment recommendations. Just because an investment or investment strategy has performed well in the past does not mean it will continue to do so. Our predictions are based on information that is currently available. However, events and markets can and do change rapidly. Hello and welcome to our monthly podcast. I'm Tom Santoralaya and I'm joined by Robert Ulster and Isabel Alboran. Hi. Hello to you both. Hello. So huge amounts uh, going on since we last spoke in the last episode, uh, particularly around central bank policy mm. decisions. Uh, so plenty to talk about. Uh, and as we did last time, I think it's quite sensible to start with what we've been hearing or the questions that are being asked of us by our clients directly. And no surprise that they're honing in on interest rates, uh, inflation, fears of recession and those sorts of things. Uh, so, Isabel, let's start with you. Uh, we had that outsized, at least by modern or recent standards, uh, interest rate move from the Bank of England. Uh, what brought that on? Great question. Yes. So the 0.5 percent interest rate rise, what was behind that? I think there were sort of two main reasons. The first one relates to a theme we've talked about before, really, and that's the fact that UK data has just been stronger than expected. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of that relates to the labour market. And mm -hmm. I think the second one relates to the housing market. So they're not seeing changes in interest rates and monetary policy translating through to the real economy as quickly. Okay. And Robert, it's the inevitable follow-up question. Do you think we're near... The peak of interest rates? Yeah, this is the second time I'm going to be <laughs> calling this um, on the podcast. That, Yeah, no, I think we do. We think we're either at or very, very close to peak interest rates. Admittedly, it has been more drawn out, um, especially in the UK in terms of inflation and and the, um, the response, therefore. But yeah, I think we are at the peak. Oh, that's good to hear. And Isabel, you mentioned that the transition mechanism uh, transmission mechanism, sorry. Uh, how how does that play out in the real economy? How how does the housing market impact how interest rates feed through to the real economy? Mm. So I think the first thing to understand is the fact that the UK housing market, the structure has changed a great deal in kind of the last sort of 30 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, if we think back to around the time of the global financial crisis, then we had about 30% of mortgages being on a fixed rate and the rest being on a floating rate. Whereas today, that number, it's it's above 80. It's almost 90%. Really? Yeah, so very high. Um, and, uh, you know, because of that, because we've got this greater share being fixed, that means um, at a given time, a change in interest rates isn't going to fully pass through to mortgages. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing that's different to elsewhere is that of those mortgages, a greater share of them are on a shorter term fix. So if you think about the US, we have quite a lot of really very long term fixes. You might sort of fix for the whole time you expect to live in the house. Here, we're much more used to fixing for a shorter period. So around 83% of um, mortgages are on those short-term fixes. So that does mean that um, monetary policy will transmit through. It's just going to take a little bit longer. Does, does that mean that the UK is 
potentially hit a little bit quicker or harder by interest rate rises because we have those shorter fixes compared to the US where it's sort of 10 years or 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key difference. Um, but, you know, from the Bank of England's point of view, it hits more slowly than it used to mm-hmm. in the old days when we didn't have those. I mean, in addition, now, because we've only, I think it's only about 30% of households that are mortgaged at all, um, you've got that slower transmit transmission mechanism and it's only sort of 25% of total households that are you know get on these shorter term fixes so whilst when you do come off your fix it might be quite painful at the moment at any given time I believe it's estimated that it's about 7% of um, mortgages per quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine there's been a bit of a flurry of activity because we had that stamp duty holiday that post-pandemic, that closed in June 2021, so almost exactly two years ago. Um, so that's probably feeding through and being quite quite painful to consumers that are that are refixing at the moment. Robert, do you, do you see this playing through into consumer behaviours? Because so far the consumer's been relatively um, robust. Yeah, that's right. I mean, although the fixed rate hits to people who are unfortunate enough to have to refix their rate makes the headlines you know, on a daily basis at the moment, it's still relative, as Isabel's pointed out, it's still a relatively small number. And you've also got to remember that people are working through their excess savings mm-hmm. from the sort of one to two years of the pandemic. So it's quite a hard call on the um, UK consumer because you've also got relatively high employment on the other side. So they're still earning. And we can see the sort of sectoral effect almost because there's boom time in terms of airlines, mm dining, hospitality in general. So it's, it's all very sector specific. And at the moment, the UK consumer is holding up. Mm. And of course, this is all being implemented to try and get inflation under control. Um, it, it stayed higher than anticipated. Why is that? So I think there's two key reasons. Uh, the first relates to food. So we've seen stronger food inflation for longer than we had mm-hmm. expected in the UK. Um, And that's been more than we've seen elsewhere. Uh, The good news is that we do still expect food inflation to be coming down um, because, you know, future future prices for commodities, food related commodities are coming down. Um, The second reason sort of relates more to the services side. And um, that's probably got something to do with the fact that wage growth has been strong, either because higher wages are translating to higher costs for companies and they're passing those through to services costs, mm-hmm. or conversely, because uh, people having higher wages has kind of enabled more spending on services for longer. So what, what makes the UK different in this? Because we're seeing it come down in the US and, and Europe a little bit quicker. Yeah, I guess, it, well, it's it's the food, the structure Just, of the food um value chain in the UK. Um, There's also the issue, of course, and this has made the headlines about the petrol and food retailers and to what extent are they trying to be charitable here to rebuild their profitability Mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic. And then, of course, if you're a consumer, you're arguing that, well, actually, they're keeping prices far too high for too long. So I think there's sort of a mix of reasons about why in the UK compared to the US and Europe, inflation seems to be a bit more persistent. So I'm, I'm hearing from Matt, we're potentially going to have these higher interest rates for a little bit longer than we might have anticipated earlier in the year. Yes, and I think that's reflected in market expectations. Um, so if we think about 
what futures are pricing in, well, we've had quite a sort of strong reaction from futures prices. They're now indicating a peak of about 6.5% in the spring of next year. The good news is economists are not expecting quite such a sort of extreme environment as that. Um, so we, you know, we, we expect that might come down a bit, but still, unfortunately, a little bit further to go on interest rate tightening in the UK. Oh, and what about equity markets? Do you think they've been a little bit too sanguine in all of this? Mm. I mean, obviously, yeah. interest rate rises are a key function or a key influence on valuation models. Yes, yes. And yet we're seeing US markets rise. Yes. So, yeah, and the UK equity market, and European equity market, sort of so-so. But the US market, which you refer to, which is strongly up, you have to remember that's being driven by a very narrow range of company share prices, about six of the tech companies are driving virtually mm -hmm. all of that increase. If you take them out, the underlying US market is flat to slightly down. And that's where, of course, the, the issues that Isabel refers to in terms of inflation, what the Fed's going to do, are relevant. But that doesn't mean that the tech stocks, you know, that's a sort of um, a bubble or anything. That's reflecting the whole generative artificial intelligence, yeah. chat GPT. So that's probably warranted in terms of the growth. But you have to look under the bonnet of what's happening in the equity market to understand what the movements are being year to date. Yeah, a lot of exciting stuff and opportunities in the AI space. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so have we heard anything more from the Fed? Uh, central bankers were all meeting recently in Portugal. Did they give us any indication as to where their minds are? Mm, yes. Um, I, I think <laughs> the message was hawkish. <laughs> so um, if you think back to the June... Um, FOMC, the dot plot, where they chart their expectations for interest rate mm -hmm. rises. Well, there we had two more interest rate rises indicated. And, you know, guess what? At Sintra, Powell sort of underlined that by sort of suggesting uh, successional rate rises are not out of the question. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pointing to two more as well. And the, the other thing that I think has been interesting um, this week was we got FOMC meeting minutes, and that sort of undermines that while we did have a unanimous vote in favor of staying on hold, within the meeting, there were several uh, committee members who did not feel it was appropriate to be on hold. So I think that, again, is, you know, leading us to expect a bit more tightening in the US. Interesting to see the divergence of opinion there, not dissimilar to what we're seeing across the investment space at the moment. Mm. Um, and it, of course, it's not all just about uh, interest rates that are moving mm. markets. We had big developments potentially uh, in the UK and Russia. Ha did did mm. that have any influence or any impact mm. on energy prices or our broader investment theses? Yeah, it was an amazing sort of weekend, really, where you, know, you had a, almost an attempted coup stroke mutiny in Russia. Mm. Um, but it all happened over a weekend. And so the market. It was markets, all over by dinner time. It was all over by dinner time. So the market sort of didn't really move on the back of it, either mm. in terms of energy prices or food prices. Uh, I guess because it was felt there were no going to be no long term consequential knock on effects directly. And the market switched back to worrying about interest rates, as yeah. Isabel's um, being alluded, as alluded to. So the VIX, which is a sort of measure of volatility, mm -hmm. is still at relatively low levels. So there's your answer, really. So, so what about any broader developments in, in the house view? Any, anything there? So at the moment, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast, we are neutral, the major yeah. asset classes. Having said that, 
um, we are due another vote relatively soon. So it'll be interesting to see um, what the investment professionals on the floor and the debate is and whether it changes substantially. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen fixed income bonds come back as an asset class. Mm -hmm. So multi-asset investing is, is still now back on, back in the driving yeah. seat, as it were. But no, we'll have to wait for, the, I guess, the next podcast to, to see whether there's been any change in our asset yeah. allocation view. Plenty of lively debate to come, no doubt. Uh, well, look, actually, let's stick with you, Robert, because uh, I think it's your turn to give us a, a stat or a fact. All so, right. uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, hit us. Yeah, no, so, so my stat is 42 quadrillion. What? And Quad qu 42 and quadrillion. A qu and a quadrillion is 15 zeros. So right. it's 42 <laughs> followed by okay. 15 zeros. Right. <laughs> Uh, for a number you that first, ludicrously <laughs> big, I can only think of some sort of data collection right. by one of the big yeah. tech companies. Yeah, I was going to guess well. something sort of adjacent, so something to do with data storage capacity or right. data center capacity. Okay, well, you're both absolutely wrong. <laughs> it is, in fact, the rate of monthly inflation that occurred in yeah. Hungary after the Second World War. Sorry, ah. monthly inflation. The monthly inflation rate in Hungary. And that equates to your your food, your, your general price level doubling every sort of 14 hours. Goodness. Wow. Makes today's standards not seem so painful after exactly. all. Exactly, no, precisely. <laughs> wow, fascinating. Oh, that's a great stat. Uh, well, look, brilliant to talk to you both. Interesting as always, and I look forward to doing it again uh, next month. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.